Yeah. So when you talk about neurodiversity, could you give us some examples of, of, yeah. of what it is or, or break it down for us? So neurodiversity is the umbrella term for um, sort of anybody that is ADHD, autistic, um, yeah. but also uh, dyslexia. Dyspraxia comes right. under that umbrella. Right, okay. uh, Tourette syndrome comes under that umbrella. Um, so it basically just, in simple terms, people's brains are just wired a little bit differently. Yeah. yeah. Um, and therefore, they see the world in a different way. Yeah. Um, which part of what I'm trying to do with with my business is is to help people embrace that. Yeah. Break down again barriers that are in and around um, yeah. anybody that's neurodiverse yeah. in terms of how they view themselves and helping them to embrace it when they're diagnosed. Yeah. And also, you know, I did some training a long time ago and it's it stuck in my head and it was always, why do we expect them to fit into our world? Actually, yeah. we should be fitting yeah. into their world. Yeah. Is it like then a matter of sort of, you know, getting people that aren't neurodiverse to accept the neurodiversity as well. That must be, a, you know, it's difficult because, you know, obviously you're dealing with everyone there, you know, yeah. the majority. But it, it's like breaking down barriers with, with non-neurodiverse people to understand yeah. the, the challenges yeah. and the, the things that yeah. the neurodiverse people have. Absolutely. Um, so when we're looking at sort of neurodiverse versus neurotypical, which would be me and you, um, you know, the majority of people in the population are neurotypical. So, of course, you know, it, it's it's the majority um, and they fit into a diverse minority. Yeah. Um, so for me, that should be looked at and viewed at as we would any minority group. Mm. Yeah. Um, and there are challenges and obstacles constantly in the way um, to allow neurodiverse people to flourish and reach their potential mm. and that starts for me in school you know the the battles that people face to get their child diagnosed now all the research and evidence says the earlier somebody gets a diagnosis mm. the earlier we can put um interventions in place whether that's therapeutic or behavioral if you like um to help them children and young people to overcome the impairments that come with neurodiversity, yeah. to then help them later in life have as, as normal in, yeah. in sort of high food as they can. But actually, for whatever reason, I think probably fear more than anything. Schools are really reluctant, I would say more in primary than in secondary schools, mm. reluctant to acknowledge or accept that somebody might have a neurodiversity. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that is? But, I think there's, I think there's a fear and a lack of training. I yeah. think the fear is that if a child gets a, a diagnosis of autism, for example, or ADHD, that the amount of things they're going to have to put in place, so the reasonable adjustments that might need yeah. to be put into place, are going to be huge and expensive, and it's going to take lots of time, and um, they're going to have to do um, an EHCP, which is an early help um, plan. The it's too time-consuming or it's mm. going to be too expensive. And it, it isn't really, you know, in terms of ADHD, simple adjustments in class can make all the difference. Yeah. And them adjustments are really useful for neurotypical children yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, I can um, imagine. 
so if that then stops behavioural outbursts that then disrupts a class mm. and another member of staff has to come in and take that child out yeah. and then something yeah. might go on in the corridor yeah. and then it's just up to chaos yeah if you know rather than that being seen as that child has behaviour issues if we look a little bit closer and obviously it's not that for all children but if we look a little bit closer and, and be open to the idea there could mm. be a neurodiversity there then actually in the long run it's better for that school yeah. because they can put things in place structures in place strategies in place that help that child to to learn which is yeah. the overall objective but to feel calmer included yeah. build their social skills so that then when they move into high school it's a little bit more of a seamless transition yeah yeah um but equally it doesn't have the school in chaos staff running around yeah. everywhere yeah. Um, that's, what, that's what i thought i thought surely it's better for the school to embrace that you know if diagnosis is the right term mm. you know and then they know don't they? they can put things mm. in place to, to make it better for that child the, the class the teachers everyone around so it, it doesn't make sense to me to sort of you know just bury your head in the sand and just put it down to a behavioral issue it's better to know isn't it i think Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, look, not every school's like that. I've been oh, in some really no. fantastic schools, but there are other schools that do want to bury their heads in the yeah. sand. You know, I, I remember going into one school um, right at the beginning of, of my work and was met with the, um, it always makes me laugh, with the, the person saying to me, um, we are a very affluent school, so we don't have any issues here that we would need your counselling for. Right, right. Oh. One, it's not a massively affluent school in a massively affluent area anyway. But two, you know, my response to that was, all right, so uh, wealthy people um, don't have abuse and violence in the family or, or what have you. Mm. We, we don't have that. No. Um, in the eight years or so that that was on my area, I had one counselling case it's, in eight years. Well, money, it doesn't matter how much money you've got, does it? You know, money, you know, it's not sort of mental health or neurodiversity. It isn't, you know, it's not It's not that choose. It doesn't choose, does it? You know, well, that, that's a nice area. We'll, we'll go somewhere else. It's a ridiculous yeah. thing to think or say is that. I know. And, you know, that, like I said, one counselling case in eight mm. years there where other schools, you know, I was in every week you know yeah, three or four yeah, clients yeah. every week there um and does that go down to the at... stigma though sorry to interrupt but does that go down to like the stigma and that school who said that to you to me straight away is oh you know we're better than that that's what it that's how that came across I to think me so. yeah. i think so and that to me isn't about the staff in that school it's not about the pastoral teams it's not about the teachers because when you talk to them, they, they get it, they see yeah. it, they want the support, they want the help. It comes to the higher ups and depends on who you have high, higher ups. Yes, yeah. I know some schools that are very uh, well being and mental health orientated and have a whole team dedicated to it and fantastic. And actually, when you see the work that they do versus some other schools, yeah you can quite clearly see the evidence of, of, yeah. of what they're doing um you know and what happens is then the cases that come to me have had support and intervention already mm. and they've tried everything they can and then that becomes a case that is appropriate to work with 
um, and they will have supported the family and you know and they'll have done a lot mm. and by the time that family comes to me there's there's no anger or animosity it's it's you know school have been fantastic yeah. we've tried everything um, so now we're with you and they're really engaged and they want the help um, and they're the cases that seem to be more successful yeah. when they've had that support from the school yeah. Yeah. versus cases from say some of these other types of schools by the time the parent gets to me they're angry the relationship with school's yeah. broken down yeah. um, the resistant to me you know then I, yeah. so part of my work is having to bring them back around to the idea that we can help them yeah yeah uh, which takes time away from what we should be doing yeah then you kind of become that advocate where you're going into school saying like can we just do this or this yeah they're resistant because i don't know that parent slagged them off on Facebook. yeah yeah wrote a letter yeah. in so they don't want to do it and and that's when it becomes a challenge yeah can you imagine you think, yeah. how can we change things when when school and parent might not even communicate no anymore. no that's it i think that's the key isn't it if if, if like they're not communicating and, and it's diff- it's easy for, you know, for, for, for me to sit here and say this is what everyone should be doing. And and it, it just to me seems a bit, I can't believe that, you know, you, you mentioned then earlier that some schools are brilliant, uh, you know, are better than others with mental health support and some aren't. And, and why is that? Is it down to money? Is it down to what, what really? I can't understand that. It's like saying some school, some schools are better at maths than others. Surely yeah. it's it should be across the they should all be do, you know doing that any, yeah. any reasons why that might happen I think it's about whoever's in charge and what their view of mental health is you know if you've got a head at yeah. the top yeah. who thinks mental health is utter rubbish yeah yeah then what ethos are they going to have yeah. through the school yeah. um and then they tend to you know employ people in the senior leadership team that, that have a similar, similar view to them yeah because yeah. that's what works yeah. you know that's what makes them a team is they're all singing from the same hymn sheet so I think you know it really massively depends on who's at the top of the top mm. of the chain um I think it is changing I can there are massive changes since I started nine, eight nine years ago more schools are now moving towards the way of mental health yeah I think with what's happened in the last 12 months there will be a massive emphasis on it now um, whether schools want it or not um, yeah. you know there's there's a lot of funding coming in to um, support schools with with children's mental health mm. um, so I think you know if one good thing that comes out of the pandemic is this big push and awareness around children's mental health now yeah yeah, I can understand what you mean. Like, I suppose, like, it's a bit of a cliche, but the more old school, <laughs> you know, heads and things. Back in day as well, I suppose, mental health was, we all, everyone had it, but it wasn't a thing, was it? It was just, oh, get on with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Even going back, I suppose, you know, people came back from Second World War and we just pushed straight back into civilian life, weren't there? We know, yeah. and I suppose, that even recent wars have done. So I think when when people are still of the, you know, older type older school type of thinking mm. they, they, they don't see you know that mental health is to me the, the first thing anyone should be should be getting right you know you yeah. never mind maths and english and it's easy me saying it but you know ma- yeah, maths and english are nothing other compared to what you what's, what's absolutely you know and there's the argument isn't it whether you know within the school system is it um well-being or is it academics mm. well actually without well-being 
the academics aren't going to happen. We know that if a child is anxious, has suffered trauma, has another barrier like neurodiversity, their ability to learn yeah. is hindered. Mm. So ultimately that affects the school's rating when it comes to yeah. exams. Yeah, yeah. I, so I totally agree. It has to be a trade-off. Yeah, I totally you know, agree. We've got again, to go, okay, do we lose a bit of this and we'll have more of this? Yeah, yeah. Do you think that, I think they're under such pressure as well, though, to get the grades that it's all a bit short-term thinking. You know, where, where like you say, if they're just a bit, a bit of pain to start with, that yeah. would bear more fruit, wouldn't it? I think certainly yeah. for, for, for the, the pupils, the staff, everyone. You know, everyone would yeah. be a, a better like any business or any place. Yeah. The more, the more, the, the better your mental well-being is of everyone that's in that place, institution, business. Mm-hmm. The better the whole entity is, isn't it? Yeah, and I think the well-being side of it, whether it's schools or like say businesses, but in, if, you know, we were talking about schools then. The, the well-being side of it isn't just about the children it is about the staff you know mm-hmm. the staff need to be supported if you know and that ethos then runs through that school mm-hmm. will support the staff the staff yeah. support the kids um and actually you know we have to remember that teachers usually will be the first point of call for a child to make a disclosure right. so if something's happened at home or you know, there's been an incident mm. whether that child has been hurt themselves. The teacher will either know it's the bruises, yeah, or the child will go and tell the teacher what's happened yeah. if they've got a good relationship. So that teacher then they can't unhear that. Yeah. That that's there and they also know then that they're involved in whatever comes next. Yeah. That takes a huge amount of um emotional mm. uh, feeling from them you know yeah, it's, energy. It's that mm. energy it's draining i don't get any kind of supervision for that yeah. um you know the pastoral teams their supervision might be a case supervision it might be how many cases have you got and what are you doing and yeah. what's the safeguard in it but it's very rare rarely coming from a clinical point of view of okay You've got X amount of cases in your caseload, and three of them are abuse victims. What's that like for you hearing that? Yeah, How's yeah. that impacting you? How yeah. do we help you with that? Yeah. So that's something else I want to be able to with the, with the business that I'm doing. I'm I'm currently doing my super, clinical supervision training. Is once I'm qualified to be able to offer that as a support in schools and say, yeah. look, clinical supervision isn't just for therapists. It's for no. anybody that's having to work in a helping profession. That is going to be impacted emotionally mm. and mentally mm. by the work that they they do, mm. um, because ultimately, again, people have a tolerance and a, and a level that they get to before they burn out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, so this is why it, this yeah. is why maybe a lot of teachers are, are, are away with stress and things like that because they're seeing so many things through their through their children, and no one's actually, or not no one, but very few of them are getting the as you said, that the, the supervision, the support of that. It's just like, you know, you're a teacher, crack on, but it's not just about, I suppose, writing numbers on a whiteboard, is it? It's all the emotional, you know, not baggage, it's just wrong term, but, you know, all the emotional energy that you have to, you know, expend yeah. and see in your pupils, you know, with yeah. their mental health or their, their things have got at home. So what do you think we can, what, what do you think can be done then to improve access? I know that's the thing that you're very you know very passionate about what what could be done to improve access yeah. to, to, to mental health support and things 
I think it's um you know schools being aware that the there could be um things that they can tap into in terms of um you know like yourself with within you you know if 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 the if schools can buy into something like that if they can allocate some of their mental health funding towards allowing um teachers and pastoral staff mm. to either access uh supervision or actually if something quite bad happens within their lives some kind of therapy mm. um it's it's having money put aside to be able to give them that and yeah. a lot of schools probably do for the therapeutic side not necessarily the supervision side yeah but i think um you know one of the big barriers to that which you know we'll keep coming back to is the topic really the barriers is it's time off for it and yeah. i think what you're looking at doing with the digital platform mm. will um remove some of them barriers yeah. for for not just schools but other organizations where yeah. okay you know we can't let you go three hours early to make sure you've drive back yes. the yeah. city to get to your appointment. But actually, you know, you can have an extended lunch break and we'll give you a private room where you can access a yeah. computer. Yeah. yeah. Um, or, you know, if someone really wants face-to-face, -face, we'll let you go an hour yeah. earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then not be financially sort of punished for yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like dealing with the, the cause and not the symptoms, I suppose, isn't it? You know, getting there yeah. first and... And as you said, just to me, it's common sense, but common sense ain't common. And I don't run a school, so I'm not saying it's easy, but I totally get you where a lot of it's time, it's time and resource, isn't it? You know, yeah, and having that. And, 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 but if if that's not offered to them, they're just going to burn out, aren't they? Which, which a, lot of, yeah. a lot of teachers are, a lot of people that, you know, not just teachers, but staff, as you said, pastoral care, they, they are burning out. So surely it's mm -hmm. better to deal with, you know, the cause before it yeah. becomes a symptom so so is it is it a matter of sort of maybe educating you know I'm not trying to sort of aim this at head teachers or whatever but ultimately you know it, it's educating yeah. the, the the people that made the decisions on on how this will benefit mm -hmm. them and ultimately their pupils I think oh, yeah well I think you know there's there's a lot of schools now are part of multi-academy trusts mm. so the heads are just the head of their school but they will follow a set of rules that's from the multi-academy yeah. you know so you'll have a ceo type if you yes. like at the top yeah. of the academy chain um so ultimately i think it goes to them as part of their their staff welfare their policies and procedures that it becomes very clear that there are routes available if their mm. staff need some support yeah um and that that is filtered all the way down because you know, let's be honest as well, especially right now, heads are under increasing pressure mm. and they're having to do things that they've never even done. You know, we're hearing about uh, almost like what test sites now in yeah, yeah. car parks or schools and staff having to give COVID tests. Mm. They're not medical professions, but yeah. the logistics of that are coming down onto SLT. Yeah. Yeah. Plus the parents that either a nervous anxious don't want it whatever they've got so much to contend yeah, with yeah, and have yeah. done for 12 months so i'm sure they will all be in need yeah, of yeah. some support yes. mm. um you know and you'll know yourself that most organizations now will have some kind of what they call the employee assisted program yes. eap mm. which is usually about six sessions of therapy mm. to, a, to an employee if that enables them to overcome whatever might be stressing them out so they're not off on long-term sick yeah um you know and that's quite common now and 
lots of companies sign up to that kind of program I think some schools are starting to but again yeah. it hasn't been seen as a business in that sense yeah 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 but more and more they are becoming like businesses so yeah. of they should yeah. have that um access to, to therapy I yeah. guess and supervision I think, yeah I think that supervision is a massive point that's come across that that I think is really something that's going to come out in the the next certainly 12 months I think people understanding that these teachers and, and pastoral care staff do need that you know supervision but I think just to reiterate what you said they're under immense pressure they've got loads on and they're doing it they're doing an amazing job aren't oh, they okay. under under the circumstances that they're under from from the from you know the top to the bottom this, these schools are doing amazing with the what they're having to put up with at the minute um but sort of just 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 from from a professional outwards have you got any tips to 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 anyone about how to help uh, with a, a neurodiverse individual a neurodiverse child anything that that could help the the, the non neurodiverse people is that the correct term to neurotypical neuro neurotypical so to help neurotypical people understand neurodiverse individuals have you got any Sort of tips that we could, you know, follow, look out for, undertake? Yeah, I think, um, you know, back in the day, if we're talking about autism, you will have been in school with people and gone, oh, they're a bit weird or a bit quirky or a bit, you know, and that was kind of the labels that were given yeah. to people. Um, and I think, look, some, you know, I'm working with, with a young lad at the moment and he is embracing the fact that he's, he calls himself weird and he likes the fact because in his mind he goes, well, the world would be really boring yeah, if totally, we were all the totally same. Agree. Yeah. You know, so that's part of that embracing. So for me, as a neurotypical person who's been learning around this and, you know, I've spoke to you before about my son has ADHD, yeah. so that's where my passions come from. Yeah. Um, you know, and the barriers that we face to get his diagnosis and the barriers we still face now. Um, but the research I've done, the reading I've done, the training I've done is always about embracing who they are. Yes, there will be impairments and it's understanding that the impairments are not because they're bad kids, naughty kids, angry kids. You know, the amount of times I hear anger issues, even attributed to adults that mm. are neurodiverse. Yeah. It's, it's taking the time to, to understand what their needs and impairments are because everybody's different again. Yeah, you know, yeah. we call it a spectrum for a yes. reason. Yeah, yeah. You know, their, their needs are always differing. If you meet one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're not, you can't have identical needs. They might have certain traits that are the same. But it's, if you're working with someone in your organisation that is autistic or ADHD, then it's taking the time to speak to them and to understand um, what what their difficulties are. Yeah. It's taking the time to read up a little bit um, on what autistic traits might be. So, yeah. for instance, autistic people uh, don't get sarcasm. They don't understand it. You right. know, the way their brain works is that they hear something and they take it literally. Right. So, you know, there's no sort of imagination around what they're saying, the sarcasm. Yeah. It, whatever yeah. you say is, yeah, yeah. they will take it. Yeah, yeah. What you say is what you mean, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. So that can come across as rude, offish, you know. Yeah. Um, 
blunt yeah you know so and it's not you know um so it's understanding that it's understanding they might um have sensory issues so therefore too much noise can be overwhelming and overstimulating um you know for organizations it's it's having that kind of policy in place that takes into account those needs Mm. um you know and i think a lot of organizations are getting better at that and putting policies in place and there's a uh, there's a an organization called embracing complexity they do a lot of research into neurodiversity and they write reports um on on data they collect around um sort of neurodiversity in the workplace and give recommendations excellent Um, so that's a good one for any organization and any company listening to go to embracing complexities website um and have a look at the um documents they have on there as a resource that can help you form how your business will run no but we'll put i'll put a link in the after this you know when when, when we publish the podcast i'll put a link in in there to that and things yeah, I'll send. I can send you all of that as well. So you've got the links. Yeah. There's a few. There's yeah. a couple of other um, places that do things like that. Um, so I think you know, as a as an organisation and, and working with people, that's that's what we can do is just yeah. talk to them um, and understand their needs and be inclusive of them. A lot of autistic people are, are desperate for connection. Yeah. They want to connect. They want to get on with people. It's their self-esteem that stops that. Yeah. It's that barrier for them yeah. of, of people. You know, they'll have heard messages all their life that they're weird or they're this yeah. or that. Yeah. So it's for us to go. Do you know what? Let's let's include them. Let's understand. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. bring them in. Um, I think where children are concerned and young people, it's again, it's education and training um, to staff in schools. Uh, to listen to parents when mm. they are wondering if there could be something and not dismiss them. Yeah, It's letting them be heard. Again, it might be parent training with them um, in terms of how do we help you to think mm. about a diagnosis might mean, uh, what are you wanting, yeah. what are you hoping for by a diagnosis. Um, but ultimately, it's understanding the traits and yeah. then how can we make some adjustments to include them children yeah. again uh, to for again their self-esteem and their confidence to not be continually mm. not and i think the most important part of that as well is educating the children the other children the narrative yes children yes yeah on on neurodiversity i think that is the biggest thing because most of the issues not just come from um not being able to learn in classrooms it, it's friendship issues yeah. You know, that child might be seen as really immature or uh, really angry or the naughty yeah. kid and yeah. like, stay away from them. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I've seen, though, as, as well as maybe, you know, the education side. Yeah. I, I've seen um, the parents of the neurotypical children not understanding neurodiverse children and saying things like, I'll oh, just stay away from them. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not saying you know, that the, the, the neurotypical parent is wrong. Because again, it's all down to understanding and, and knowledge and, and, and being educated on it. And I think that's where schools are in such a difficult position because it's like, well, we have to educate everyone 
on neurodiversity and, and and that's i've seen that with certainly like i said parents that have gone oh well just he's a naughty boy just 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 stay away from him and you mm-hmm. and they think no he's not I, I i know he's not by what the child's saying you can see that it's it's not a, a behavioral issue per se it's a well, as, as, I would before this, I didn't use the term neurodiversity. I'd use he's on the spectrum, but now he's a neurodiverse child, and and sort of what you've said, Tasha, has been fantastic for me certainly because I've learned you know mm-hmm. the terminology, but it's also given me a fresh insight onto in, onto new into neurodiverse people, and hopefully you know given me a bit of a something to think about moving forward yeah. as well because I think it's too easy for. For, for neurotypical people to, to, to judge, we all judge, don't we? And it's sort of thing, yeah, you see oh, someone and yeah. you judge them good, bad, indifferent. Like he's going back to what you said about, for example, oh, there's seven other kids, it must be, and we all, people always label yeah. everyone and each other, don't they? And, and I think it's a, it's teach, it's taught me to not just jump into yeah. a, a, and put a, a, a child in a, in, in, a, in a certain box and, you know. Absolutely. Or even, you know, it's the same with adults, you yeah, know. It, yeah. It's exactly the same. And I think the other thing that I really want to try and push for in, in everything that I do in terms of my business, and I think I mentioned to you uh, last week, I was doing my first podcast with somebody yeah. which I've yeah. done. Um, and that's going to come out next week because next week is um, Neurodiverse Celebration Week. Oh, is it? So, oh, fantastic. Yeah. So it's going to come out as a part of my contribution to Neurodiverse Brilliant. Celebration Week. So that's with um, somebody that I know who's got ADHD, who is a massively successful kickboxing coach in this country and yes. has yeah. uh, done some wild challenges, shall we say, like um, pulled a plane for the um, uh, distance of a marathon and things like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got another challenge coming up in the summer, which is, is probably even more bonkers. But one of the things we me and him spoke about and one of the things I want to push because I see it in my own son is what we call their superpowers we focus yeah. on the impairments or the negatives yeah. of being more diverse but actually there's so much that is wonderful yeah. you know they're diverse for a reason yeah. yeah um you know I feel like my best work has been with neurodiverse children mm. I find it energizing I find it exciting I think they're amazing. They all come with something different, superpower-wise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I want to be able to help people to see the positive in that. Yeah. You know, again, yeah. with adults, I'm working with an adult autistic man at the moment. You know, and his whole life, he thinks that he's not that, you know, interesting. Mm. Yet, he is a florist. He's a keen photographer. He mm. DJs. You know, there's all these things yeah. that I go, I'm yeah. it. Yeah, wow, yeah. how amazing yeah. is that? Yeah. Um, so it's about it, you know, embracing um those diversities and going, they're amazing. Well, that's exactly if what we... you said. Yeah, the di- diversity, that gentleman, those three things could probably not be any more diverse, could they? Yeah. You know, exactly. where, where a neurotypical person would probably just go, do not that's a bad one thing. Where this neurodiverse individual is is playing to his strengths and he's yeah. doing such brilliant things and well, he's got this creative part of him, but then he's got this very logical part of him that probably comes with his autism, and he's very sort of computer-based. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, you wouldn't be, you know, the contrast in himself yeah. Yeah. Um, is amazing. Um, but 
but I think you know it's it's helping them to recognize their superpowers and embrace themselves and then if they can they can be proud to talk about it in public rather than feeling ashamed about it um which I think is a big thing in neurodiverse people there's almost this shame because actually there will have been struggles as a child and a young person they will have had to overcome so many obstacles Mm. and actually their resilience is so high that we can all learn something from that yeah Yeah. Um, and to get to where they want to be will take an awful amount of work from them and a lot of support around them but you know let's be honest if I think I personally think and there's research around it that neurodiversity is evolutionary that evolution has said that we need to have neurodiverse people because we need people that can think outside the box yeah. to solve problems in the world that will yeah. continue to come up. Yeah. So whether that, you know, you look at the people that are known to be autistic, like Einstein and people yeah. like that, if they weren't autistic, we wouldn't have the inventions we have. We wouldn't have cures to disease, you know, they're they've become hyper-focused on one thing and they don't give up until it's done and successful. Neurotypical people are easily diverted away from the path by their phone, going to the pub, cinema, socialising, all all that stuff. A neurodiverse person will focus and focus and focus until that thing's done. And we need people like that and we should be singing about them from the rooftops. We should be, for me, we should be rooting them out. We should be, you know, yeah. they're the people that are going to change the world. Like you said, the, the, you know, the, there's people that have, that have changed the world. And, and I think to do anything of significance, you've got to have that focus, haven't you? And I think yeah. it's too easy for, for most of us. You know, it's like, oh, I'll start that. Oh, then I'll start that. And then I'll do that. And then they wonder why they've not achieved what they want to achieve. Mm-hmm. It's because they don't have that you know razor like focus and and everything i read about successful people you know whatever it is whatever term of success that is they've all got that one thing of um, that that that, like laser like focus whether they are neurodiverse or neurotypical there's one theme that runs through them all and i think we should be weeding them out sounds a bit odd but you know we should be going out and actively you know finding that these people that will change society you know communities the way we live the way we work and I think that's where neurotypical people can see them as a bit weird well he's he's, he's like that he just and 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 I think well yeah that, that's how you're successful you know yeah. you you don't it's like a dog chasing a squiddle you know dog yeah. chasing a squiddle it's off and that's what a lot of people are like out the way if that yeah. dog's just focused on the task not yeah. to say the people are dogs but you know what I mean there's an example yeah we, we are too easily distracted and a lot Absolutely. of it is through mobile phones and social media and yeah and, and at that point then who who's who's the weird one yeah. but exactly. we, we're moving away from our social norms of social yeah. interaction to be on our phones yeah. so yeah. actually who you know for me I'm going actually we should be learning now yeah, yeah. um but I know who is it that's in charge of like MI5 and MI6 down in London, that big department. Yeah. They actively advertise for neurodiverse people. Right. Because obviously within that industry, they need that laser yeah, focus. Yeah. Analytical skills. And... Yeah. Yeah. So their recruitment drive. It's amazing. They, you know, so I think that's again something we could all learn from. But I think that if we can, if we can overcome some of our assumptions about. Mm 
people, if we can put training into schools from an early age of the staff as well as other children, if we can not be afraid anymore of, of children getting a diagnosis, get these early diagnoses, let's get them the support they need because yeah. they will need support. Let's get the therapy in there or let's get them the strategies to help them manage their impairments. Let's build the confidence, let's celebrate them, let's build the mm. esteem. And then as they move into adulthood, you know, a lot of the other mental health issues will start to drop as well. You know, yeah. the burden on the NHS will drop because it's really well known that there are what we call co-occurring comorbidities or disorders that come with neurodiversity, whether that's depression, anxiety, OCD, um, you know, and, and other issues like that. But like in any neurotypical person, they've got something underlying. Yeah. So when that's a co-occurring disorder with neurodiversity, usually the, because their issues in childhood around their neurodiversity yeah. weren't recognised yeah. and it's chipped away at them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can understand, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, so if we do all of that, I'm not saying that's going to be the same for everyone, but the earlier we can support families and the earlier we can support yeah. young people, yeah. And the earlier we can support schools with them young people then through their life those possibilities of anxiety and depression yeah. will hopefully lessen or not be as intense yeah well it's a foundation isn't it and foundations always begin at the start and if we're yeah. doing it in schools then that's the start of that young person's life and career so we build the foundations as you've said and then they won't hopefully grow into adults who are living all the things have been told by society who doesn't understand them. And, and like you say, if, if, if we can celebrate neurodiversity, and I think it's down to, you know, maybe the, 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 the people that, that, are, that are more neurodiverse coming forward. And, it, you, know, it, it, you know, it's like when, when, when sort of sports people or movie stars talk about their mental health, it helps everyone, doesn't it, yeah. to think, that's not just, it's not just yeah. me then. So if neurodiverse people are coming out, I think, was Alan Turing neurodiverse? The guy that cracked the enigma, yeah. Yeah, yeah but he was autistic. Yeah. But even, you know, you look at modern day things at the moment, I do a lot of this with my son because I want my son to embrace his ADHD. I want him to see his superpower and I want him to have a future that he's uh, excited about and proud of who he is. Yeah. You know, so I do a lot with him in terms of showing him other people with ADHD. Yeah. So, you know, Justin Bieber's ADHD, oh. Will I Am's ADHD. Um, you look at Simone Biles, you know, the um, what 18 gold medal Olympic gymnastic champion in right. America. She's got ADHD. So, you know, some of it is going, look at these amazing yeah. people yeah. that actually, unless you knew, you no. wouldn't know. No, no, exactly, yeah. So look at what they've done, and they're successful probably because they've got ADHD. Yeah. And that's their thing, yeah. and they've gone, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's always, for me, finding that niche. Yeah. What is their niche? What yeah. is their thing? Mm. You know, and I think the other way we can support schools is, you know, a curriculum for some children, the normal curriculum, isn't going to work you know let's find what they're good at and let's tailor that curriculum to them mm. you, know, for, you know I know with my son you know to, anything that's too much writing too much reading mm. he, he can't deal with yeah he, he's, he can hear it in his audio 
but actually there are other things that he's brilliant at. I'd rather him have six, seven subjects that he focuses on yeah. than coming yeah. out with nine or ten GCSEs yeah. and he might fail half of them. I'd rather have a smaller set of subjects yeah. that you can give everything to and pass all of them. Yeah, but them subjects that are relevant to his to his skill set and his abilities yeah. and like... This is the, the I'm just the I think that classic line if you judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree it's going to be a failure I think I said I only said that probably last week to someone but it's showing me when we're discussing things like this how society is set to judge people on the norms and there's no such thing is there nah no you and know. then we are then setting these kids up to fail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes back to, okay, well, let's chip away at their self-esteem a little yeah. bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you didn't get a B in maths. You didn't get a C in this. You didn't do this. You didn't do this. Instead of saying, yeah. well, this isn't what you're good at. You're good yeah. at. Well, you're an incredible chef mm. or a baker yeah. or an artist. Yeah. Or actually, your skills lie verbally. Yeah. And you could be the most amazing salesperson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw that at school so much that uh, when, when I were at school, it was just like, literally. I remember once I was in sixth form and, and like um, the, the, the head of the six at the time sort of came into the assembly and said, right, today, anyone, want, anyone that wants to go to university, stay back and we're going to talk you through it. Anyone that don't, you can go home. And I was like, oh no, anyone that wants a job, you can go home. And they were like, hey. So they're helping these people that go to university. What are people that don't? It was like, oh, get yourself off, take afternoon off. And, I, and even back then, I thought, that's not right. It, yeah. it just, it, and, and, you know, I look back at the school I went to and I had some fabulous, great teachers. But what I mean by great teachers, great teachers of life. Yeah. You know, they, they, they were fantastic. But the school itself, knowing what I know now, and even back then, I thought someone went right, we're just... I suppose it were they're all the curriculum to follow, but yes, they were just absolutely. they judged all the kids on whether you were going to get A's, B's, and C's. And yeah. you know, I look back now, and you know, all the people that, well, you know, they you know, they're mm. not not where others are yes. in their lives, you know, and because they've yeah. been judged on grades and exams. How how exactly. good are you at remembering stuff to write it down at the end of the year? Exactly, that's, and that's not life, is it? Bonkers. That's not life. It's it, it's totally it, utterly wrong. You look at a lot of great businessmen there and they'll all tell you that they dropped out of school at 14, 15 years of age. But actually, again, the best entrepreneurs generally have ADHD because they come up with um, constant ideas for businesses and constantly working on them and evolving on them. And, um, you know, it's that creative side, isn't it? Of Okay, what's the next challenge? What's the next thing? So many um, of them I've read have said, oh, I'm dyslexic. So many books I've read, and there's that yeah. many that I can't remember. But honestly, literally, they've all said, I'm dyslexic. I'm dis-. So many, you know, and yeah. they say, I can't, I can't, you know, I struggle to write things down, but they're ultra successful in what they do. Absolutely. And it just shows that it, 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 it shouldn't stop you, should it? But it's society, yeah. I think, that, uh, that is. I think the- so. I think there's like, it's how do you, how do you find a way in to access the learning for that? person because this can happen in colleges and unis and people going back as mature students if we understand that they've got something like dyslexia or adhd or autism what it is is about understanding again their impairment their needs and how did the how do we overcome that as a barrier yeah so for my son for example french when we go on holiday 
he picks up languages, you know, he will still say a couple of things uh, in Thai. We went to Thailand like three years ago. Yeah. So he's got a bit of a natural talent. If he listens to something, he can get it. Yeah. So he's doing French at school, getting really low marks in vocab tests because it's on a sheet of paper. You read it, you cover it up, you write it, you check it. Too many processes for yeah. him. Yeah. So I emailed school and said, is there any way this vocab can be put onto an audio that he can put in his ears? Yeah. And as he hears it, he repeats it. Yep, we've got this platform we can do it on. Did it. Two minutes. So where it might have took half an hour for him to do yeah. that, this is two minutes of listening to this yeah. 20 words. Test scores went up. Brilliant. It's fantastic that school did that as well. And uh, yeah. Brilliant. I've got to say his school are really, really good in terms of neurodiversity. Yeah. I'm very lucky he goes there. Yeah. Do you want to give um, him a shout out? Can we say all the uh, Yeah, the Redillion Academy. Um, and they have a specific um, person called Mr Naomi, who's amazing, um, who is for the neurodiverse children. So he works mainly with ADHD and autism, and he's fantastic. And he's mm-hmm. been a lifesaver through this, this lockdown, I've got to say. But they're really open to listening. Um, so when I emailed him and said, look, I think if you can do it on audio, it might help yeah. him. Yeah. It did. So now we're kind of going, okay, how can we use that in other subjects now that can help it? Yeah, fantastic. Um, And I think teachers now in training, I think there's a big part of their training now is on SEN needs and understanding it. So again, I'm thinking we're on the right path. Yes, yeah. Hopefully things will be changing. Yeah, yeah. But if I can do anything else to push that, then obviously I'm I'm going to do what I can. So, so can you just remind us what, what next week is? Because we'll put this out next week as the first yeah. one in our mental health series as part of yeah. the, what week is it again, sorry? So it's Neurodiverse Celebration Week. Fantastic. So um, I'm putting my podcast out to, to do that. And to be fair, it's, it's a one-man band. It's a young lady who's got uh, autism and some other neurodiversities yeah. who's decided to do this for herself. And Brilliant. she's got loads of people on board. Fantastic. She's done great, so I'll send you the link to that. Yeah, well. and I'll put that in. I'll link it to the 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 sort of text in this podcast as well, yeah. Tasha. So, yeah. well, Tasha, thank you so so much. It, it's Welcome. been really enlightening, and I've learnt loads. And I think if I've learnt loads, someone as as you know simple at learning as I am, it's, it's it'll be easy for everyone else who are a lot more intelligent than me. Because yeah, it's just it, it has just opened my eyes just to the that that one term neurodiverse. And when you think yeah. about it, it just opens up your thinking as to what neurodiverse people are. It is. Yeah. And it, Absolutely. It, it is. And it's a, it's a great term. And thanks for sharing that. And it's something That's that okay. you'll push. So, yeah, definitely. Because I think where the digital platform will be brilliant for neurodiversity is for them, neurodiverse people who have social anxiety, who can't get out and will access it through a digital platform, yeah. who are overcoming another barrier for them people by doing what you're doing which is amazing well it's like you said Tasha like you know you've met one neurodiverse person you've met one neurodiverse person and that again that really struck a chord with me and I think that's something that as people listen to this that will stick with them as well so there's all these all these little things that you've said that to you are things you know and the things that you work on every day but to people like myself it's brilliant all these things have sat with me and I'll, I'll take them in you know I'll take these forward into everything I do because it's about you know instead of looking at someone and, and judging them looking at someone and just stepping back and trying to maybe 
you know, hold off on that and just try and maybe understand why that situation is occurring. And I think it'll make for a more inclusive and nicer society, won't it? So absolutely. You know, so thanks so much, Tasha. It's been amazing. I've really, really Thank enjoyed you. it. I've really loved it. Uh, thanks, thanks again. Danny. No, thanks so much, Tasha. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Cheers, Danny. Right. So I can cut it there. And then I'll, uh, I can stop, you know, I can cut it. So what I'll yeah. do, Tasha, I'll, I'll pull it out, the audio, I'll send it to you. Have a, yeah. Obviously, whenever you can, it's no rush. Just check yeah. that everything's okay. But I know it is, it's fantastic. It's absolutely brilliant. Oh, thank so you. Just let us know and then I'll get it up and I'll get it up at some point next week. Yeah. But our first mental health series and, and we'll put something all around the, the you know, sort of yeah. neuro, what was it again, neuro... Uh, Neurodiverse Celebration Week. Neurodiverse Celebration. Right. I'll, send you the link. I'll send you the link today yeah. so you've got it all there to hand. Brilliant. Thanks. Well, I'm going to let... Cheers, I'm, I'm, Danny. Thanks a lot. I'll speak to you soon. Take it easy, Tasha. Take care. Bye. See you. Bye-bye.